Okay, guys, we are in Isaiah. Uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 7, so we're in lesson 5. Hopefully you got a study sheet on the back. Now, this is going to be a, hopefully a helpful lesson to you because this passage we're going to look at here in a moment created some sort of a controversy within a good portion of the 20th century. What do you mean controversy? Well, I'll talk about it as we get to it. But we're going to see how God works here, not just in the prophecy, but in the communicating of the prophecy. So hopefully you will interact today as we talk, and we're going to see some things. Okay, so because of the sake of time, I'm not going to get into the passages except for the verses that I need to focus on. Okay? So when you come to chapter 7, it's verses 1 to 25. It is the birth of Emmanuel. Okay? Now, does everybody know who that is, the birth of Emmanuel? Who would that be? Everybody's whispering. Jesus. Yes, that's right. And uh, speak up because I'm getting older. I've listened to too much music, loud, and I can't hear. Okay? All right, so Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us, okay? And, and that's where some of the controversy comes from. So as we get into this, we'll talk about, what do you mean controversy about the birth of Jesus? Well, just wait. When we get to it, you'll understand what I'm saying, okay? So here's what we're going to do. When you look at the first two verses, we've got to set the setting for the prophecy. You have to understand why the prophecy was given, okay? To understand what's being communicated. All right, so the first thing I want you to see is, is that during King Ahaz's reign, Syria and Israel joined forces against Judah. Now, when you go to the narratives such as 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, you're going to read about King Ahaz. He wasn't a good king. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was what usually is said in those passages. Ahaz really was really not interested in Yahweh. He was not interested in the God of Israel. In fact, he, would, he actually took a trip up to the Assyrians. Now that's different than the Assyrians, the Assyrians, and saw some sort of altar to some God there he made a design of it and sent the design back to the people in Jerusalem to build it for him. So he was really into the worship of the false gods. Now, at this time, there was a political situation where Judah, okay, remember now, Uzziah is dead. That was a time of prosperity and security. Uzziah is dead, his father. And what's happening now is, Israel, which they've always had really a, a bad relationship with since the kingdom split after Solomon, the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes, they're joining in some sort of allegiance with Syria, the kingdoms there with Syria, and they want to come against and defeat Judah. So there's fear in the land, okay? There's a lot of fear going on, what's going to happen, it seems overwhelming. We've got this force coming against us. That's what's happening here, okay? So there's these forces. So Judah was terrified by the alliance. 
Judah was terrified by the alliance between Syria and Israel. Because it's just one guy against two guys. And you would say, well, maybe aren't they strong enough? No, if you look at, look at the narrative passages, that doesn't necessarily mean things. This is medieval, ancient warfare. They don't have nukes or the best fighter jets. They fight hand to hand. Okay? So here's what happens now. The Lord, okay, in verses 3 through 9, the Lord sends Isaiah and his son to meet King Ahaz. So here's what God does. Remember, he's, he's called him to be a prophet. We've already looked at that in chapter 6. The Lord says, I want you to go and meet with the king. And they meet at a certain point. Now, it's not that Isaiah has, okay? It's not that Isaiah has access to the presence of the, of, of the king. It's because he's at a place where the king is. So look with me, if you look at chapter 9 of Isaiah. Let me turn there real quick. I should have been prepared. Excuse me, Isaiah 7. What am I, I'm, I'm, I keep, I need to get better glasses. Okay, Isaiah 7. If you look with me at verse 3, then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now and meet Ahaz, you, and he mentions his son's name there, I'm not even going to try it, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. So he's telling Isaiah, this is where the king's going to be. I want you to be there and meet him. Okay? So it's some public place. The king's going to come by. Isaiah's going to be there. All right? So that's what's happening here. Now, Isaiah is to tell Ahaz not to fear the alliance of the Syrian and Israel and their threats. Not to fear. Don't fear this alliance. Don't fear their threats. So here the prophet is supposed to go and deliver a message, because that's what a prophet is doing. He's delivering a message from the Lord, telling Ahaz, don't you worry about it, okay? Don't worry about this alliance or their threats. And here's what Isaiah does. Isaiah proclaims that Israel will be defeated in 65 years. So the Lord just doesn't say, don't fear them. He says, in 65 years, they're not even going to exist anymore. Wow. That's prophecy, isn't it? God, he's telling them, you're afraid of this alliance, of these two nations. You wonder what they're going to do to you. Are you prepared? You're trying to find ways of, of confronting them. I'm going to tell you, in 65 years, they're not even going to be an issue anymore. Wow. Wow. Okay, now here's the problem. The problem is King Ahaz. Okay, King Ahaz. So, if Ahaz would not believe and stand in this prophecy, he would not stand at all, is what he's saying here. Look with me at verse 7 through 9. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand and nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is risen. 
Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramallah's son. All right, here's the statement. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Now, what's he talking about there? He's saying to Ahaz, look, here's what's going to happen. They're not going to exist anymore, but if you don't believe, you're not going to stand. What do you mean? You're not going to be established in your kingdom. There's going to be a problem. There's going to be a difficulty. And you're not going to reign as long as your dad did. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's, he's basically saying there is no security in your reign if you don't believe. Okay? That's a pretty scary thing to say, isn't it? Okay? Hopefully that's going to grab his attention. But the problem is, is what we're going to see is, it doesn't. Okay? It doesn't. Now, verses 10 through 12 focus on Ahaz's unbelief. So look with me at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying... Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depths or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. All right, now stop for a moment. I want you to think with me. All right. Would I be correct in saying we all want to know what God's will is for our lives? Would everybody agree with that? And what if... God somehow sent a special messenger to you and said, look, this issue that you're worried about, it ain't going to be a problem. You're going to get through this. You just need to believe. So then the messenger says to you, if you want to be sure of what I'm saying, you just ask God, he said, ask him of any sign. He'll do any sign for you to show you that this is going to be true. So it's a sign to communicate the validity of what God is saying. Okay? How's Ahaz respond? Yeah, is that unbelief? Some of you are like, ah, I'm not sure. Think about it. Okay, let me help you. It's not, he's not tempting, but it is unbelief. Why? It's one thing for you to say, God, I don't know what I should do. Uh, if it rains outside, I want my car to be completely dried as a sign. That's us asking for something that he didn't tell us to do, right? We're, we're wanting God to prove himself to us. In this situation, God's the one asking Ahaz, you ask me anything, I'll do it to show you that this is going to happen. So Ahaz, in his, quote, spirituality, which he's not, I won't tempt God. Really? It's unbelief, isn't it? It's really unbelief. It's not you and I saying, Lord, if it snows outside, everything be white except for my driveway. Do you know what I'm saying? Then I'll know you're telling me to do this. That's us asking. He's not asking. God's asking. It's unbelief, okay? It's unbelief. So here's what I want you to see. 
The Lord offers Ahaz to do any sign in order to confirm the prophecy. I'll do anything. Just tell, ask me. Wow, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Ahaz covered his unbelief by piously rejecting the offer. He's being pious. I don't want to... I don't want to tempt God. I don't want to test him. Okay? Now, how do we know that Ahaz is wrong? How do we know that Ahaz is wrong? I'll tell you how you know. How does God react to him? That's exactly what we're going to see here. Okay? Here's what I want you to look with at verse 13. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men. But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so the first thing I want you to see here is Isaiah proclaims that Ahaz is testing the patience of God. It's one thing for you to test the patience of men, he says. It's a completely different thing for you to test the patience of God because God's the one asking you to, do, to request something. So he's rebuking him. Now here's what happens then. The Lord will give Ahaz a sign in order to confirm the prophecy. So that brings us to our first point. What is the controversy from this passage? Well, at the, I believe it's at the end of the 19th century, getting ready to go into the 20th century, there was a version of the Bible. Our English Bible is continually being retranslated all the time. I think you guys know that. And there was a version called the RSV, okay? It was a version based off of the King James. But what it did was, is when it came to this passage in Isaiah, it translated the word virgin to woman, young woman. The controversy then was is that this was a heretical Bible because it took away from the prophecy which had to do with Jesus. And it, I, even when I became a believer in the early 80s, I, I mean, I'm going to that little bitty independent Baptist church, that was one of the things we were constantly told about the heresy of that Bible and how King James was a good Bible. And at that point in my life, I was like, yeah, okay, I understand that. Now here's the problem. The problem was is I uh, began to study and to begin to understand and so forth, and I began to realize it was a false problem. What do you mean? It's a false problem. It's a controversy used to stir up people, but for no reason. What do you mean, George? It's a virgin. Yeah, it's one of the meanings of the word, so let me explain to you. I'm going to help you to understand the passage today. First of all, who's the prophecy for? King Ahaz. Everybody recognize that, right? This is a sign for Ahaz to tell him that these two kingdoms aren't going to be a problem in 65 years Israel is going to be gone. Northern kingdom of Israel is going to be gone. Okay? So it's for Ahaz. Now, remind ourselves, this is happening in the year 700 and some B.C. 
So that's 700 and some years before who is born? Jesus. Now, if the prophecy was purely just for Jesus, how would it be assigned to Ahaz? His bones surely would have been pretty brittle by that point 700 years later, right? So, okay, George, how do we make sense of this? Well, let me tell you how God made sense of it for you and I, okay? We're going to see the fulfillment here in a couple of chapters. But what you're going to understand about Old Testament prophecy is this. If you want to write this down, please write this down, okay? Typically with Old Testament prophecy, not in every case, there is a near and far fulfillment. A near fulfillment and, and the word is and, so as well as a near fulfillment, a far fulfillment. It has a dual it's a dual prophecy. Meaning, it was for Ahaz, and Ahaz would see the fulfillment, but it would also be fulfilled later. Now, how do you know that, George? Well, the word that is translated virgin in the New King James, and maybe your version says that, the RSD says woman, is a word that is a unique word in the Hebrew. It has a dual meaning. So sometimes that Hebrew word means young woman. Sometimes it means virgin. Now, because of our understanding of Christ and so forth, our translators have translated it to be virgin. That's correct. The RSV translated it young woman. That's correct. What's going on there, George? A dual meaning reflecting what? A near and far fulfillment. So that later when Matthew quotes this verse with reference to the birth of Jesus, he says, and the virgin shall conceive. He uses the Greek word for virgin, which doesn't have a dual meaning. Do you understand? So he's reflecting that it's fulfilling the prophecy which has a twofold fulfillment. For King Ahaz, we'll see that soon fulfilled another way, but the son that's going to be born to Ahaz's wife isn't what's described here in these verses. Let's talk about what's described here in these verses. So does everybody understand? Nobody's going to throw a stone or a brick at me, right? Okay, nobody's going to stomp out of here saying, oh no, you just taught something heretical. Nope, I'm telling you what it says. But I'm also telling you it's not at odds with the scripture. If anything, here's what I want you to see. God is bringing forth a prophecy that has a near and far fulfillment. He uses a word that describes both things. Isn't that awesome? God uses a word that means young woman... But it also means what? Virgin. I wouldn't have thought of doing it that way, would you? No, we wouldn't have. But God did when he gave us his word, giving us the prophecy, showing us what? 
of near and far fulfillment. So let's go on. Let's talk a little bit more about the prophecy. So here's the sign. Isaiah proclaimed that a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Virgin or a young woman will conceive and bear a son. His name will be called Emmanuel, literally, God with us. That's what his name will be. Now, you're saying, well, Jesus, when he was born, he wasn't given the name Emmanuel. No, but he is the Emmanuel. Why? Because who was born in the manger? God, the second person of the Trinity. In the incarnation, taken on human flesh, who then is dwelling among us in the person of Jesus? God. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? God with us. All right? Now, that's not going to be true when we see the fulfillment in Ahaz's time. But it's true in whose time? Jesus' time, right? Okay, let's go on. The alliance between Syria and Israel will be broken before the child is two years old. That's part of the prophecy. Now, here's the part that is like, what? This is the near fulfillment. Because by the time Jesus is born, the northern kingdom of Israel doesn't exist. That kingdom of Syria is no longer existing. Really? That's the near fulfillment, not the far fulfillment. Now, here's what happens. The guys who want to just say it's virgin and only for, for Jesus... Ignore this verse. This is part of the prophecy. Near and far fulfillment. Okay, you ready? Let's go on. The Assyrians will invade and bring devastation not seen before in Syria. This is part of the prophecy as well. He's telling Ahaz, the Assyrian kingdom is going to invade. And they're going to bring devastation. And we know that. Why? Because under Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, the Assyrians what lay siege to Jerusalem. Assyria will humiliate Judah and bring deprivation to the land. He's just the prophecy is telling Ahaz, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to take place. So what I have there is a, it should be maybe, a, I don't know if it's in your notes, but this is a picture of the Assyrian kingdom at that time. What would become the Assyrian kingdom. See how much land is taken there, okay? Now, anybody got a question so far? I've just dumped a whole lot on you, and you're probably like, what, how do I digest this? Anybody got a question? We want to make sure you understand, or maybe you got a concern. It's not taking away from Scripture. Don't say it's taken away from the prophecy of Jesus. It's actually reflecting a near and far fulfillment. And we're going to see the fulfillment of that soon, okay? Of the near fulfillment. The far fulfillment was fulfilled in who? Jesus. Okay? Anybody else? Anybody got a question? Okay, so let's go on. Now here's what we're going to see now. The coming deliverer. Now we're into chapter 8, okay? Uh, verse 1 the Lord, told, Lord said to me, take a scroll and write on it with a pen concerning, and there's this name. I'm not even going to pronounce that. I'm not into Semitic languages, okay? And I will take for myself a faithful witness to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son. Again, another name. 
And then verse 3, And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name that name. So right after this prophecy, Isaiah goes in an intimate sexual way to the prophetess, which is his wife, and they conceive a son, whose name we cannot pronounce, okay? And it's not like the Harry Potter's thing, the name that no one will speak. That's not the issue. We just can't pronounce this name, okay? All right? Now, look at what it says, verse 4. And before, for before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. That's two years. He's saying before this child is able to say, my mother and my father. That's two years. Those two kingdoms are going to be gone. Okay? So here it is. Isaiah is told to record the meaning of the son's name. That name, I won't pronounce it, it's on the screen, <laughs> means quick to plunder, swift to spoil. Have you noticed it isn't a manual? Okay? It isn't a manual. That's for the what? For our prophecy. All right. The Lord's, Isaiah's wife gives birth to a son, and the Lord told Isaiah to call this name. How would you like to name your boy that name? How do you even call him for dinner? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's an unusual name, okay? Mahar, I would only do part of it, you know, or Ma, come on in, you know, whatever. All right. Isaiah is told that before this child can speak, Assyria will defeat Syria and Israel. That's the fulfillment of that prophecy. Who was the prophecy for again, folks? Ahaz, right? So Israel will be overwhelmed by the armies of Assyria. They'll be overwhelmed by the armies of Assyria. And, but here's the thing. The Assyrians will not prevail against Judah because God is with us. God is with us. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Would you say that that is a partial fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave to King Ahaz? Everybody agree that's a partial fulfillment? What isn't the fulfillment? Yeah, the child's name did not reflect who the child would be. Everything else fell in line. But the child's name, and we would know that that's prophecy because Jesus was born of a virgin, right? Okay, a virgin. Not just a young woman, but a virgin. Now, again, the prophecy had both in there, right? Using a word for woman, that means virgin as well. But it also is reflecting a dual nature. It's a prophecy for Ahaz, but it's also a prophecy for who, folks? You and I. For the nation. That there will be a child who's born whose name will be Emmanuel, meaning God 
with us. And that's the incarnation, okay? That's the incarnation. All right, let's move on. Let's talk now about the future. Uh, let's talk about spiritual blindness now, okay? Isaiah's going to move into the reality of spiritual blindness here. We see this in chapter 8, verse 11. Excuse me, wait a minute. The Lord warns Isaiah not to walk as those who do not believe, all right? Forgot to make that point here. You're going to see that. Don't walk as those who don't believe. Judah is to fear God rather than the alliance that is formed against her. So Judah is supposed to fear God rather than the people who are formed against her, all right? Hey, you know, there's, there is something here for us today, isn't it? We live in interesting times, don't we, right now? I mean, gas prices right now, who would have thought again that they would go up over $4? And here we are, we're at there right now, right? Who would have thought that uh, inflation would be the way it is right now? Who would have thought that the Cold War seems to be emerging again? And, and, and young people don't understand what that time was like before the late 80s, right? When we lived in the Cold War and the, and the threats that were constantly there. I mean, you remember, I think folks are here old enough to remember doing a drill at school where you hid under your desk in case there was a nuclear fallout. We now know that that wouldn't do anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that, that was the, those were the times. Those were the threats that we lived with back then, right? You remember the old jail here? In, in, I was right before they re cleaned the outside of it. It had a little sign on there saying "nuclear fallout shelter." What was that for? Well, they had places designated for you to go to if there was a nuclear war. Now, here, here's what I'm saying. What does that got to do with this, George? Well, just like Judah. Who's Judah afraid of? They're afraid of Israel and Syria. And they're fearful. And God's telling them what? Fear me. Fear me rather than them. I think we need to remember that. Put our trust and faith and fear in God Versus all this other stuff that's happening. Because do you and I have any control over that? I've got on my speed dial here the oil executives. I can tell them, lower the price for us, please. They don't pick up my call. Okay? They don't pick up anybody's call. Do, do you understand? But God is the one who we need to fear. That, that's, that's relevant to you and I today, right? It's relevant. Okay, let's go on. Isaiah is to concentrate his proclamation on those who are disciples. So here's what he's saying. He's supposed to focus his message then on those who are disciples, followers of Yahweh, followers of God. That's where we need to focus our message. <clears throat> Isaiah affirmed that he will wait on the Lord in hope. That's what we're supposed to do, folks, wait on the Lord in hope. Wait on the Lord and hope. Isaiah affirms that he and his children are signs in Israel. What if I told you you're a sign in Kerwinsville or Clearfield or wherever it is you live? 
Well, that's scary, George. Yeah. Think about the kind of sign you are. What kind of sign are you supposed to be? A sign of faith in who? Hope in who? Jesus, right? That's, that's where we need to be. Judah sought guidance from the dead rather than from God. Now here's the spiritual blindness. Judah, Judah was supposed to be seeking wisdom from who? The Lord. But guess who they're seeking wisdom from? The dead. They're engaging in practices that are wrong. Trying to get information from the dead about how they're supposed to live now. Isn't that crazy? Spiritism, right? Hey, is that around today? You better believe it. You know what I'm saying? You better believe it. Let's go on. Judah will blame God for the distress that Assyrius will bring. So God says, you know what you're going to do? You're going to blame me for the problem. You're going to blame me for the disaster that comes. Man, when's the last time? I'm always amazed whenever there's some sort of natural disaster, you listen to the news, and there's always, they always interview somebody who blames God for a tornado or blames God for a refinery blowing up and blames God for a war. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They, they want to blame somebody, and Judah's going to, because they don't trust in him now, they're not looking for him to help bring hope anymore, they're going to blame who, folks? God. And he says, you're going to do this. The gloom that came upon the northern kingdom will not last. Now here's the hope now. The gloom. And there would be gloom. Why? Because their kingdom would cease to exist and they would be carried off into exile by the Assyrians. But it's not going to last. Isaiah proclaims that it will be called Galilee of the Gentiles. And that's true. It does happen. In fact, you read that in the Gospels, right? What region did most of the disciples come from? Galilee. The northern kingdom would be called Galilee of the Gentiles. The great light then will emerge to the people in great darkness. So here is now another prophecy. Okay? Another prophecy over in chapter 9. And we're going to finish up here these last five minutes here. Okay? And here's what it says. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil... For you have broken the yoke of burden and the staff on his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase... Of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon and over the, his kingdom in order to establish it with just judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. He's saying a great light will emerge 
to the people in great darkness. The Lord will increase their joy as he delivers them from their burdens. This is the Messiah now, right? He's going to increase their joy as he delivers them from their burdens. The Lord proclaims five things concerning this deliverer. Five things. What about him? He's called what? His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let me just stop for a moment. I got I to tell you, I remember in my first church, I, uh, I introduced to them the use of the New King James. Because they were using the old King James, and, and I felt like we needed to go to a more modern translation written in the tradition of the King James so that young people who couldn't understand the King James could read the Bible and understand it. And I had one of the dear ladies there, and we loved her. Uh, she got upset with me for using that abomination. And you know why the, it was an abomination? Because... In the New King James, there is a comma between wonderful and counselor. The King James doesn't have a, have a comma there. And so she said this was adding to the word of God. I tried to keep from laughing. I think I did. But I quietly, calmly said to her, are, are you aware that there is no punctuation in the Hebrew? There are no commas, no periods, no exclamation points, no question marks. There aren't even vowels. It is a language of consonants. That's kind of wild, isn't it? So the commas, exclamation points, question marks, quotes italis, where everything kind of leans to one side. Those were all put there by, are you ready for this? The translators. That's not sacred. I didn't convince her. But do you understand my point? We can get hung up on things simply because we don't what? That's my point here now. We don't know. And we maybe need to read it out a little bit more. But here's the point. I brought that up because the Lord proclaims five things concerning the coming deliverer. Here's the thing. The Lord, a son will be born to Israel. He will rule over his people and the world. His character is described as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Seated on David's throne, he will have an eternal rule of peace and judgment. And the deliverer will rule because the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. All right, now number four, has that taken place yet? Seated on David's throne, he will have an eternal rule of peace and justice. Is that true right now? If you're not sure, look at the news. That's not happening right now. Okay, this is again prophecy. All right, and that's the end of Isaiah that we're looking at today.